0: Welcome to RCA Radio, a podcast covering the latest news and challenges in regulatory compliance and quality assurance facing the life science industries. I'm your host, Erica Porcelli. Today, we are covering episode four in our supply chain management series. Companies across America are not only evaluating their supply chains, they are also evaluating insourcing of manufacturing. In this episode, we will be discussing aging facilities and insuring product to the U.S. Today, I'm joined by Brendan McRae, who is RCA's Director of Validation Program Management. Brendan, welcome.
1: Hello, Erica. Nice to be here.
0: Thank you for joining me. I I know you're taking time out of your busy schedule. So, you know, I think the biggest thing is that we have seen with the recent COVID pandemic that there is a lot of discussion about returning manufacturing of critical medical devices and pharmaceutical products to American shores. What are some of the considerations manufacturers should take into account when evaluating these projects? Well, yeah,
1: certainly there's been an awful lot of discussion in industry about being able to secure our source of supply um, you know, for the American population. And I'm sure that there is a, a number of different initiatives that are out there right now uh, with companies taking a look at these projects um, to see what the feasibility is um, of moving them from their offshore locations uh, back into uh, U.S. Uh, territories. <laughs> I think the first item that uh, an organization should take into consideration um, is the facility that the production operations would be moved to. Um, there are, you know, different options that are available and uh, features and benefits between brownfield and greenfield facilities. Um, both have different types of advantages and challenges. Um, a brownfield, meaning moving into an existing facility where there may be some existing production occurring, uh, generally has a faster startup. Uh, because there is an existing not only physical infrastructure, but normally there are quality systems and personnel in place that are familiar with those projects. Um, and Greenfield has a longer design time and construction time but has the advantage of being able to be customized to the products that are going to be manufactured. So depending on the type of commodity or pharmaceutical that's going to be manufactured, uh, the first step is to take a look at um, you know the type of facility that you're going to be moving into. Um, an assessment of the impact of the existing operations that are going on in a brownfield project should also be thought about. Um, whenever you're moving in a new product line into an existing facility, that's going to use common infrastructure and, you know, common. Uh, expert systems, you do need to take an evaluation of what the validation status of those existing operations are because the transfer of a new product in the facility can trigger a regulatory inspection um, Can also could invalidate some of the existing qualification and validation packages that may already exist in that uh, location. in addition, I would say before the facility itself is considered, um, we should do a business case to take a look at the true cost of manufacturing. Generally speaking, a lot of these products have moved offshore uh, to take advantage of the lower cost labor environments. So you need to consider what technology transfers hurdles may need to be overcome, uh, particularly when moving a mature manufacturing process to a new location. Uh, when you do a process transfer and the technology transfer, normally a lot of the items that uh, perhaps have... Um, then stabilized in the existing location uh, can bring up new challenges, both in terms of being able to establish a redundant process uh, that produces the same product. Um, you have to take into consideration whether you're going to be duplicating or uh, relocating equipment uh, because duplication at times sometimes does not necessarily produce the same exact process result as you're expecting. Um, there also is the consideration of all the supplier um, uh, identification, and management of sourcing that equipment as well. Um, You also need to make sure that you're considering all the supply chain qualification, um, you know, for all your materials to be able to support that product, also including transport in some cases because, uh, you know, for some critical ingredients and finished products, you need to have a qualified transportation system as well. Um, For pharmaceutical products, um, an evaluation of the supporting utility systems qualification, Uh, process and equipment validations, and all the associated costs and durations will have impact on the feasibility of the project. So in general, you should put together a business case that takes into account what your project approach is going to look like, um, looking at the features and benefits of different approaches, whether you're going to be insourcing and duplicating, or you're going to be relocating an existing line that is currently in a low-cost market and come to a decision as to what the regulatory impact could, could be on both of those approaches and put that into a dollars and cents um, you know, a return on investment model that um, will help you justify the project and ensure that it's actually feasible to do so. Not only do you have to take into account the business costs of the project to relocate back into the U.S. You need to compare that against the strategic value of relocating that source of supply back into the United States. Companies may also be looking to expand capacity and have duplicate operations in two locations. Um, That can be a very beneficial business model. um, That way you can keep your existing operation running um, in the location where it currently is. and gives you more time to be able to establish the operation in the United States You also have the ability to do comparative studies to demonstrate that the product that you're manufacturing is actually still within the regulatory and design requirements that you originally, you know, have filings and approvals for. Um, Supply chain for raw materials should be very carefully looked at. Um, Are these materials actually going to be available from U.S. sources? A lot of the reason for globalization that we experience now is that a lot of our APIs and ingredients and raw materials for medical devices are coming from offshore suppliers. In some cases, those materials are not going to be readily available and particularly in quantity available within the United States. So you should really take a very serious look at what your supply chain is going to look like. The location of the manufacturing may not be the most critical point in in terms of being able to assemble the finished product. You may have to take a look first at where all your materials are coming from and the manufacturing location may become a secondary consideration the insourcing of the manufacturing continue to have to rely on the same global suppliers, which may negate the, the benefits of relocation. Many of the mature products that have been moved to low-cost labor markets to drive costs out of the system, particularly for low-margin, low-complexity medical devices. Um, these products have opportunities for automation that can reduce costs and improve product quality if you're considering a, a relocation. This would apply to products like masks and gowns and surgical supplies. They're obviously in high demand due to the COVID epidemic pandemic, and these um, are currently in low-cost markets to drive labor costs out. So a lot of successful projects um, are looking at not only uh, moving the actual existing manufacturing operation as it is currently designed, where it's highly labor-intensive, but looking at some automation opportunities in there that not only can increase product quality, but also um, increase capacity. Another thing that you need to be considering, particularly for Brownfield facilities, is inspectional readiness. Um, As I mentioned earlier, new registrations of products at a particular site can trigger a regulatory review and possible inspections. So companies not only need to evaluate the, um, the current status of the product that they're moving in, but also the overall inspectional readiness of the facility in general with the products that they're currently manufacturing there. In general, a lot of mature facilities that are making low-risk products um, are not high on the inspectional um, radar screen for the Food and Drug Administration. When a lot of products are moved back in and new registrations are put in place, that is a point that uh, can trigger an inspection. So you have to make sure the entire facility um, is ready to have those investigators come in and take a look at your operation.
0: So you touched on quite a few times throughout this conversation about an inspection potentially being triggered. Do you think that it is imminent that that might happen, or is the FDA really kind of taking a risk-based approach in um, performing these, just given the climate and and some of the challenges that are being faced with performing inspections?
1: Uh, There's no question that they take a risk-based approach. Um, You know, the risk is um, you know, what is the overall, you know, population harm that that product, you know, um, has? Um, you know, for instance, if uh, you're looking at a uh, relatively simple medical device, you know, such as a gown or a mask, um, you know, that's not going to come up on, you know, criticality list in their algorithm for determining which um, uh, facilities require inspections. However, if you're moving a uh, generic pharmaceutical product um, that's been, you know, uh, well established in a manufacturing site for a number of years. Um, that has a high potential for public risk, and that will definitely trigger um, a shorter inspection timeframe that uh, you know, could bring the agency on site. So, if you're looking at bringing a product into an existing pharmaceutical facility and adding a new drug there, um, you know that has potential uh, inspectional risk uh, that should be taken very seriously. You should, you know, really do a thorough evaluation of your systems um, to make sure that that drug, uh, when introduced, is going to be, you know, ready to pass muster and is meeting all the requirements of the regulation.
0: What business and quality system areas should companies be aware of that an insourcing project will impact?
1: Well, from a business point of view, um, the supporting personnel, warehousing, and office space should also be considered, um, as well as your enterprise systems, such as ERP, electronic document control, um, you know, CAPA management systems, PM management systems, et cetera. Um, the benefit of a Brownfield uh, organization is you have an existing staff there. Uh, but whenever you're moving a new product in, it's not only the manufacturing space that you need to take into consideration. Um, you know, clean rooms and clean media and warehousing is one aspect of it, but you will require additional staff. Um, and you need to have adequate workspace for them to be able to, um, uh, successfully operate. Um. The other thing is these uh, legacy systems that I'm talking about from an enterprise system point of view, such as the and EDOC and, um, you know, CAPA management systems, they may be at their capacity. And you need to take into consideration the volume of products that you're going to be moving into that facility and making sure that those systems are robust enough to be able to handle that onloading. Um, for pharmaceutical products, um, you know, you really do need to make an assessment of supporting utilities, which are essentially part of the manufacturing process. Are you going to have enough clean media uh, to support the additional manufacturing? Um, you know, that can be water, gases, um, um, you know, waste treatment systems, et cetera. Um, is there sufficient clean room space and in the right classifications? Will you need to do additional clean room classification um, and qualification as part of the move? Uh, Do you have adequate warehousing and appropriate cold storage for biological products? Do you have a plan for um, your working and master cell banks, and how is that going to be handled? Is that going to be internal to the organization, or is that going to be done by a CMO organization? All these points need to be considered when you're evaluating doing a relocation. Obviously, medical devices typically have fewer uh, hurdles to entry and fewer hurdles to start up, and that uh, are generally um, easier and shorter-term projects to execute. But a lot of the supply issues that you see as a result of COVID is going to be focusing on our pharmaceutical manufacturing capabilities, the ability to manufacture our own drugs and our own vaccines and not being relying on third-party countries uh, that could have political ramifications. So it's likely that these projects are also going to be examined. So from a quality system point of view, uh, changes can be required in almost all areas. Uh, you're going to have to take a look at, uh, you know, quality control methods, validation, and transfer, um, because obviously uh, those methods that are supporting the drug in its existing manufacturing location need to be replicated in the in the new location in the United States. Uh, you have to make sure that you have the adequate quality unit for batch or lot release, whether that's a pharmaceutical product or a medical device or a combination product. Um, you'll need to look at the robustness and effectiveness of your CAPA system, you know, your deviation and complaint handling and non-conforming um, you know, systems that are in place there. You should do an evaluation up front um, you know, to make sure that those systems are under control. Um, it's, a, it's an area of uh, high focus for the FDA. Uh, so when you're considering moving into a brownfield facility, uh, the first thing, just like in any other inspection, you know, you should take a look at the CAPA system and see how effective that already is. You don't want to be adding an additional burden to a system that may already be overwhelmed. Um, and I think that's one of the cr- critical points that you need to make when evaluating the quality system um, assessment of the facility that you may be moving into. For process validations and qualifications as well, um, you know, has the facility been keeping up with their revalidation schedule? Uh, that tends to slip over time uh, as it becomes less and less important as products become more mature. Um, so that's an area where uh, your periodic qualifications, uh, you know, may be delayed or may not be fully adequate. Uh, but again, you know, tracing back to the inspectional readiness issue, um, if you're evaluating moving a, um, a new product, into an existing facility, these are areas that you really need to take focus on. If these are new facilities, on the same point, you need to make sure that you have plans to be able to put these systems in place. Um, you know, from the, you know, there's the, physical construction of an aging facility and assessing, you know, what the uh, adequacy of their clean rooms are, adequacies of their, you know, supporting utility systems, adequacies of warehousing, adequacies of office space. But you also need to make sure that the quality systems are going to be planned for and you're going to have adequate staffing to be able to put all the necessary elements of a quality system in place from scratch. And uh, that can require, you know, a fair amount of organizational development. Uh, there would have to go lot of hiring. You would have to be doing a tremendous amount of training of your production staff. Um, It's a fairly large hurdle if you're going to be doing a greenfield facility. Um.
0: What stage gates or project planning pathways should companies consider when they're evaluating the ROI or feasibility of insourcing to an existing aging facility?
1: Well, my recommendation is that you start with um, a thorough examination of the design specifications of the product in question. Uh, what tends to happen is, is that once you have a mature product, you either have a, a drug master file or a design history file um, that is quite mature. Um, you know, that product at one point uh, was innovative and uh, reached the point where it had maturity not only in the marketplace but also in its operations, uh, and that product was transferred to a low cost environment. Uh, typically speaking, um, updates to the design specifications as a result of engineering and processing changes that have occurred over the years may not have fed back into that design history file or that drug master file. Do these documents actually reflect the current design and manufacturing conditions and requirements for the product? A lot of times that information is now buried in process and production specifications that don't necessarily make it back to the design history file. So. Taking a look at that from a remediation standpoint is probably step one um, in terms of the stage gate. Um, are you ready, in essence, to be able to put together um, another regulatory filing to re-release that product? That's the criteria that I would be you know, using if I was evaluating um, you know, moving a mature product back to our shores. Um, In many cases, the immature products may have design remediation requirements that need to be addressed first before um, you initiate the transfer project. Um, Once you have these design requirements, we can step back into discussing what the supply chain requirements are. Are you going to be able to source all the raw materials uh, for this product in a way that is actually going to make it effective to move it back to our shores? In some cases, as I mentioned before, these materials may not be available from U.S. sources, which may may negate the advantages of the insourcing effort. You know, you may find that a particular API or a particular polymer um, or a particular packaging component, we may not have a company here in the United States that is actually manufacturing that for us. So you may still have the transport issues and the sourcing issues um, that you are uh, experiencing uh, in your current location where that product exists. So, after you've got the design requirements and taken a look at your supply chain, the next thing is to do a a detailed and formal risk assessment at the project level. Um, You really need to identify areas that are going to require mitigations for the supply chain systems, utilities that you may have in place in a brownfield facility. Do you have adequate workspace? What are the regulatory inspection risks? As we talked about before, there's high and low risk products that are out there, Um, you know, commodity items, you know, just to repeat myself. Um, you know, are probably going to be relatively low risk, and I think that there's a lot of opportunity there, um, you know, due to the COVID pandemic, to bring in products such as masks and gowns and isolation materials, perhaps even ventilators. High-risk products are going to be pharmaceuticals, vaccines, you know, this type of manufacturing. Um, Bessonery, you know, highlight a lot of regulatory scrutiny and really needs to be executed in a way that um, is near perfection. So, That um, step of doing a risk assessment is probably the most critical in terms of being able to make the business decision as to whether it's viable to bring this product back to the U.S. shores. Be careful to also consider how existing production operations are going to be impacted. You know, just moving a new product in um, is going to have an impact on existing operations. You may not have sufficient utilities capacity. Um, You may not have sufficient clean room space. You may not have sufficient regulatory and quality and production professionals to be able to support the product. All of that needs to be put together in a risk management document. The tools in ISO 14971 and Q9 can be very useful for putting this together um, and then building that up so that you can identify what actions are going to necessarily be taken before you go into formal project planning. The next step after you have a, a viable risk assessment that's been reviewed by professionals uh, who are familiar with the product and are familiar with um, the industry in the U.S. Uh, is to develop a transfer plan. Uh, what facility build outs or modifications are going to be required? You know, what's the construction time frame for doing that? Um, is that going to impact your existing ability to continue to supply existing products? Um, will the equipment be relocated or purchased new? Um, you know, that is also going to have an impact in terms of doing inventory builds to make sure that you're not depriving the marketplace of existing products, uh, which requires very careful planning if that's going to be the case. Um, When you're purchasing new equipment, you also need to make sure that it's going to be able to replicate, you know, the exact operations that are currently occurring in the environment where it is now. Um, In a lot of cases, there are uh, no such thing as duplicates. Everything always uh, has some slight changes that uh, is going to necessitate doing a lot of engineering studies uh, to be able to make sure you're going to be able to replicate the product in the new location. Um do the utilities in the in the facility require an expansion of capacity as we mentioned before. Um, you know, for pharmaceuticals, clean media is going to be very critical. Um, you know, these are very expensive waters. Uh you're gonna have enough WFI, are you gonna have enough P- PW? And again, don't forget to consider, you know, looking at your waste management capacity as well, uh, particularly in an OR facility that is, you know, a multi-product facility now. Um You also need to take into consideration how long it's going to be able to qualify, um, you know, suppliers and also your internal processes. Um, If you're developing a new supplier base and you have the materials that are going to be available in the U.S., um, you know, that's going to require a significant effort of, you know, doing supplier audits and supplier qualification. Um, and also actually qualifying the materials, so uh, you know all the chemistry and engineering that needs to go in uh, to demonstrate that the material uh, is suitable for producing the product that you're making. You also need to make sure that you're going to be able to have time uh, to be able to do all the uh, qualification and stabilization of your internal processes. Um, you know, whenever you're setting up a new manufacturing line, um, nothing ever goes as planned. It's always something that is going to crop itself up and present a technical, technological challenge. Uh, so there needs to be time planned, um, you know, for prototyping um, and engineering runs uh, before you into a formal qualification. Um, you're also going to need to identify your equipment suppliers and your utility and cleanroom suppliers and make sure that they're on board, being able to, um, you know, provide their services um, in conjunction with your timeline. Um, and once again, I need to stress don't don't forget to include an assessment of inspectional readiness um, as these products are transferred into the facility facility utility modifications are also going to need to be qualified. And this may lead to remediation or requalification of legacy systems in an existing plant. Um, you know, whenever you're touching an existing water system, whenever you're touching an existing air handling unit, and uh, trying to increase capacity, that's going to trigger a requalification effort, and that shouldn't be ignored in your project planning. As those are time-consuming activities um, that are facing a lot more regulatory scrutiny now from the Food and Drug Administration.
0: Yeah, you bring up a a really good point with regard to planning and and the level of planning that's required. What are the risks and benefits um, that you see for companies that are looking to provide more security for their supply chains by insourcing operations to the U.S.?
1: Well, I think what most companies do in a lot of projects that I've worked on is you have set up parallel manufacturing at both existing and proposed sites. Um, That by far is uh, the best way to minimize risk. Uh, You still have a continuing source of supply, um, you know, while you are getting the new operation uh, implemented and stabilized and qualified. Um, It also makes sure that you, um, you know, are ready to address and still have the existing staff uh, from the sending site to the receiving site to be able to provide you with technical, regulatory, and quality support. Um, Generally speaking, that's probably the least risky approach. Um, it maintains the operations at the existing facility until, until the new location is shown to be successful at producing the same product. Um, this is by far the most secure way of assuring continued supply. For mature you know, medical products, uh, the risk in relocation is usually pretty low. Um, you have a very well-known and established and characterized manufacturing process. You know what the utility requirements are. You have a long-term relationship with your supplier base. Um, these products usually do not require extensive investment in facilities and supporting systems. I would call these a commodity products. Um, you know, they have known and tangible t- uh, technologies and are commonly moved and duplicated in low-cost regions. You know, you may find that over the years that uh, that same product has been moved from, um, from Mexico to Central America to Central Europe to Asia, uh, producing the exact same product against the exact same specifications. Um, for higher technology products, um, the risk is a little bit more um, um, uh, significant because of the capital costs involved. Uh, you're making a significant investment in equipment and facilities. Um, these are, generally speaking, uh, much more expensive and technologically challenging products to manufacture, whether they're small molecule or large molecule, um, and duplicating those operations. and meeting the requirements of the regulatory approvals is quite challenging. You have to demonstrate that you're manufacturing the exact same product. Um, and that is a very significant technological hurdle. And you should plan to have this take several years. You know, three to four years is probably a realistic timeline uh, for relocating a pharmaceutical product back into the United States. I think it's something that we definitely need to do and have that capability. Um, there is very much um, a known infrastructure here in the U.S., um, you know, with CMOs is another option that a company may take into consideration, you know, if they have a wholly owned uh, site overseas, um, it's possible that a CMO that, are, that is a uh, professional at uh, being able to insource and manufacture drug to specification, but that may be an interim solution while you're uh, stepping up and building your own captive facility.
0: Yeah, that's a really interesting perspective. What would you say to organizations that have existing U.S. Under, underutilized facilities and want to restart operations? I mean, would you look at this from a maybe you begin with a CMO until the site is ready, or, or what would you? What are your thoughts?
1: Well, I would definitely start with a CMO and get them doing you know the initial work. Um, you know, if you don't have an existing facility here in the U.S. Um, You know, you're going to be having to do a lot of transfer studies, method validation, uh, small-scale batches. A CMO can certainly assist with doing that. They also have the ability for biological products uh, to be able to, you know, put together your master um, and working cell banks uh, and get that in place and stabilize. And they can continue to be your supplier as you move into your own pilot and production operations as your facility is built out. It can certainly shorten the timeline and reduce the risk. Um, once again, I'm just going to reiterate that there are professionals at doing this. Uh, they are commonly taking in uh, products from a number of different uh, sources and um, are able to do the scale up operations, you know, in a, um, in a way that's geared for a multi-product facility. So um, I would definitely partner with a CMO as a a means of being able to mitigate risk, for for sure.
0: Right, because even even if they have an existing underutilized facility, there's still gonna be ramp up time that they're gonna need before they can transition the product in, right?
1: Absolutely. I mean, as we talked about, you know, you're going to have to, um, you know, make sure all your supporting systems, clean spaces, and production equipment is going to be available. Um, Those are fairly long lead times, uh, particularly when you're doing duplication instead of relocation. Um, So as an example, if it's going to take you two to three years, um, you know, to, uh, you know, source all of your – Um, necessary mixing, blending, filling equipment, Um, your CMO can shorten that timeline to market uh, by being able to do a lot of those small-scale pilot studies while you're sourcing your capital equipment. The CMO option also uh, gives you a great advantage if the facility is currently shut down and you're looking to restart. Um, In a shutdown facility, the project is much more complex. Uh, The systems have to be evaluated to determine if they can be brought back online to be compliant with current CGMP requirements. Uh, This would include identifying the necessary supporting staff, uh, doing technical assessments of all the systems to understand their current status, um, understanding what the quality system requirements are going to be. And as we mentioned before, all the logistics and supply chains, not only for the product but for the operation of the plant, need to be restarted. It's going to be a multiple-year large investment project. Um, If an organization already owns an aging facility that's still on its books, Um, It is viable, but you need to take into account the timeline to bring those uh, operations and facilities back up into compliance before you could even consider doing manufacturing there.
0: What technical considerations do you see for pharmaceutical insourcing in an aging facility?
1: I think in my experience, um, you know, for a pharmaceutical product is to consider the status of the clean media technical systems and controlled environmental spaces. Um, You know, these are areas that, um, you know, are considered to be uh, part and parcel of the product. Um, You know, the process is the product in these cases. Are they properly qualified and validated according to current standards and specifications? Uh, It can be a large effort to bring these systems up to standard for production. Um, And again, as we talked about, you know, facilities that are mature um, and have existing legacy products, um, they may not have had. Um, a recent inspection. Um, there may be issues in terms of their requalification of their technical systems. Uh, there may be some aging issues on their technical systems. Um, and that should really be, um, you know, very carefully considered if you're moving into an aging, um, but still producing facility. Um, you know, as process, uh, you know, equipment ages, qualification status needs to be thought out. Are some of the existing operations reaching the end of their useful life? Um, Are you using the -the state-of-the-art equipment, and is it necessary? Um, Is it even possible to source some of the older equipment that may be currently used for manufacturing products in that facility? Um, Duplicating the processing conditions to produce a drug product without impacting the quality of the final form is quite a challenge. Um, You know, as uh, anyone in the industry knows, as you're moving from, you know, simply from a um, a laboratory to a pilot to a commercial operation, um, you know, transfer studies and transfer protocols can be quite complex. Here have you met the exact process and conditions at the sending facility and have these and studies um, been planned for the overall project approach? Um, in some cases, a, a greenfield facility, um, you know, may be a better option, uh, if, you know, for a complex, um, you know, drug product. Um, and you should very carefully consider whether an aging facility, a brownfield facility versus a greenfield facility, is the best solution.
0: Given all of the technical complexity and risk, do you think that insourcing is a good approach?
1: Absolutely, I think that um, you know having duplicate sources of supply um or supply that is exclusively to us shores um is going to be a benefit for our country in the long run. Um I think it can be made to be economically viable as well. Um I think that there has been a rush to um you know move products to low cost environments. I don't think we're ever going to be able to fully get away from globalization. Um but having the technology and the uh, information and knowledge um, you know, transferred and uh, back into our shores, I think, gives us a competitive advantage. Um, you know, even though these projects are sounding complex from all of the issues that I've been brought up, it is really the same approach that all manufacturers face in releasing a new product or transferring to an existing low-cost environment. If you think about the complexities that you have to have if you're moving a product from the United States, uh, to Central Europe, for example, um, you know you're facing the same challenges, just in reverse, in moving that back from Central Europe back into the United States. Um, we all have a globalized, you know, um, uh, regulatory environment. Uh, we're all interdependent on all the different agencies that are present throughout the world. Um, so wherever you're selling your products, which are typically worldwide, we have to meet those requirements, regardless of where the site of manufacture is. So I think having a native capability in the United States, um, you know, to be the uh, uh, technological leaders in this area uh, is a great advantage for us in the long term. I think there's always going to be a opportunity um, for low cost um, manufacturing um on offshore locations. I don't think that's going to change in the industry. But I think for critical products um, you know, that have major public health implications, um, you know, such as vaccines and such as personal protective equipment uh and such as basic surgical supplies, um, I think that um it is best to be able to have those capabilities within our shores. Uh it may not exclusively have to be sourced here in the United States, but we should have the capability to be able to ramp that up, as we have been learning with COVID. I want to be clear that I think that all of these challenges are, are solvable, um, and it just needs a, um, an organized, risk-based approach to be able to assess the product and the project, not only from a business perspective, but also from a quality perspective. And I think if both of those things are done and you are doing good planning on the front end of the project, um, the answer will become clear as to whether it's economically viable and whether it's viable from a strategic point of view for our country. Once the primary driver is in place, um, the other key consideration in making these projects successful um, is the secure source of supply. Um, you know, I do think that in sourcing, um, you know, for critical items such as reagents for test kits, um, you know, PPE, as we've mentioned numerous times in this call, um, you know, the key to success is evaluating the initial return on investment, making sure that that ROI is consistent with strategic value of having that manufacturing capability within the United States, Doing very careful risk management to identify the risks and understanding what the expense of putting mitigations in place to overcome those risks are, and careful project planning to make sure there's contingency to manage those technical. Uh, they can be anything from inspectional readiness of the facility, uh, you know, to processing risks to supply chain risks. And I think that early identification of those items will make it clear to manufacturers as to whether um, it is viable or effective to insource to the U.S. Or to continue to rely on third-party and third-country suppliers uh, to be able to provide those products to us.
0: I know that we have covered a lot of ground today. Do you have any final thoughts or comments?
1: Yeah, a lot of the challenges that I've seen in my career um, has been underestimating uh, some of the technical complexities of you know bringing a, a new product uh, to market. And I think that there's been a lot of Uh, very optimistic scheduling, uh, you know, to meet um, uh, investors' expectations. And I think that I've learned over the years that, um, you know, doing the planning piece first and making sure that you're very carefully assessing risk, um, you know, can bring these projects into a place where uh, they are going to be viable. I strongly feel um, that uh, insourcing to the U.S. is something that's going to be critical to us, not only, um, you know, for public safety, uh, but also for continued job growth. And you know, continuing to make sure that we maintain our technical knowledge and abilities, um, you know, in a worldwide marketplace, uh, we are great innovators here in the U.S. Um, and I think that uh, you know, in the rush to globalization over the past 30 years, uh, we've taken a lot of advantages of moving into low-cost environments. I think we've learned a lot, um, you know, from um, all the different countries that we have partnered with over the years, and we have improved our products. But we have a very complex supply chain. Uh, And when you have a complex, you know, um, public health issue like COVID, uh, as you can see in the American experience here, um, you know, we had states competing with each other to be able to uh, source supplies. Um, You know, we had countries competing with each other to find their sources of supplies. So it doesn't necessarily mean that we have to have... Um, you know, a full-scale production capacity here in the United States, but we have to have the technological capabilities to be able to ramp that up when the need arises. You know, this may not happen, you know, for every hundred years, uh, but we need to have that planning in place so that we can, um, you know, be prepared to respond more effectively next time. I also think that there's opportunities here, um, you know, particularly for some of our um, lower technology, mature products um, to take some opportunities for automation. And um, we've done a lot of successful projects where we have taken um, a lot of the costs and improved quality uh, by implementing automation to products um, that have relatively low thresholds. Back when these products were originally released, uh, the status of automation really wasn't to the point where you could uh, effectively fully automate a line. Um, You know, we've come a long way in the past 30 years. And in some cases, we've built some facilities and qualified some facilities that are producing hundreds of thousands of components and products every day um, with minimal operational expense from labor. So I think that some of these projects could also be taken a look at as a cost savings opportunity if the planning is done correctly.
0: Brendan, thank you so much for taking the time to provide us with your insight today. It's been a pleasure having you join us.
1: Thank you very much, Erica. This is a subject that I love to talk about. It's what I do every day, and uh, that's what RCA does every day as well.
0: Thank you, Brendan. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in to this episode of RCA Radio. Be sure to subscribe to be the first to know when we upload the next episode in our series covering supply chain management.